I hope that you all have been getting the main points in the series of sermons that John has been preaching on worship through the tabernacle. It was just amazing how God uh, just formed the plan and opened uh, and prepared a way for us to come into his presence. But jumping on into the New Testament, what we learn is, is that we are now living tabernacles with God's presence in us. But at this point in the series, before we go any further into the next series that John will preach on behind the curtain, being in the presence of God, and what that life is like, it's time for a self-check like Paul suggested to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, the 13th chapter and verse 5, Paul told the Corinthians, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. The kind of testing that Paul was advocating is that which proves both the worth or the genuineness of something. And what Paul is wanting examined and tested is not if they really believe the gospel truths, but to examine and test whether the profession of their faith is consistent with the life they are living. I recently learned something really profound listening to a message by a renowned Hebrew scholar. Paul is emphasizing here what God really said in the third of the Ten Commandments. The King James translation says, Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The NIV translates it, You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The the Hebrew scholar said it literally means, You shall not wear the name of the Lord your God in vain. Emphasizing, if you wear the name of the Lord as his child and follower, live like it. The worth and genuineness of the profession of the Christian faith and our faith uh, is determined by the conformity of our lives with the truths of the gospel we say we believe. If our life does not conform to these truths, It negates our claim to standing firm in the faith. So when Paul says, do you not realize that Christ is in you? He is indicating that they should know fully enough to be able to live out that knowledge. Matching that to what we've been emphasizing, we could say it like this. Do you not realize that you are a living tabernacle and have the presence of Christ living in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And the Greek word here that is translated fail means tested and found to be counterfeit. So knowing that Christ is living in us, it's good for us from time to time to examine ourselves and check whether our lives match the profession of the faith and the truths we say we believe. At first, this message might seem to be somewhat negative and judgmental. That is not my intent. I want to help you realize the constant, relentless opposition we face to derail us from consistent progress in our spiritual growth. I want to point out some hindrances, some dangers, and some helps. But more than that, I want to inspire you to treasure your salvation and encourage you to keep developing the richness and quality of life that comes from a saving relationship with Christ. But to effectively do that, we need to examine ourselves. But we're not going to rely on our own standards. 
we're going to use the Word of God and ask the Holy Spirit to guide our evaluation from His perspective. I'm assuming that you all want to keep growing in Christ-likeness and pass the test so that the words you hear when you stand before the Lord are, Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share your master's happiness. However, we are all aware that we have two major enemies. The first is our sinful nature. It is selfish, self-serving, full of pride, and longs for ease and pleasure. We all have issues that we need to overcome when we give our lives to Christ, and we simply cannot overcome them without consistent, intentional effort in applying the necessary spiritual disciplines. And too often we can be prone to rationalize away the need for change, or at least the need for immediate change, because our hearts are part of our sinful nature. And as the scripture says, the heart is deceitful above all things. But even when we see the need for change, finding time, rather making the time we needed for those disciplines, is difficult with everything else we think we need to do. I have shared with you some, with shared some, with some of you a very helpful insight quote that I came across several weeks ago. It's from Corey Tin Boom. She said this, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. We all have so many responsibilities, so many activities, and we face the tyranny of the urgent so often, and it crowds out time for the more important spiritual needs in our lives. Now, the more important doesn't always seem urgent, so we put it off till we have more time. But you know, the devil never says, don't make time for God. He just says, do it later. But even when or if more time comes, it is often cut short by the many other things that need to be done. And our deceitful heart and selfish, sinful nature rationalize the important spiritual needs away for something easier and more enjoyable. We all know who our next major enemy is. It's Satan, the deceiver. And the reason he is so effective is because of his most effective disguise, self. Rarely do we recognize his work in our lives because he appeals to and works through our sinful nature, supplanting his thoughts, his rationalizations, his excuses to guide our decisions against doing what we need to do to grow in Christ-likeness. And he does this so effectively that we think our excuses and our rationalizations and justifications for not doing what the Lord is trying to lead us to do are our own thoughts. We need to know who we're listening to. If we don't recognize that Satan is the one at work, we don't fight. We fool ourselves and we give in and we lose the battle. In essence, Satan is deceiving us so we can deceive ourselves, and many become deceived. Listen again to the words of Jesus. He said in Matthew 7, verse 21 through 23, 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Jesus makes it clear that the ones who enter the kingdom of heaven are the ones who do the will of the Father who's in heaven. But whoever these people Jesus is referring to will be, they will have been active in doing things for the Lord, and they thought they were saved, but they were deceived. What would Jesus mean when he would say, I never knew you? Doesn't Jesus know us and know all things? Yes, he does. But the point is, you can know a fake, but how do you really know a fake? That person, like Satan, is a deceiver. He or she is not actually who he pretends to be. Satan knows what our sinful nature is like. We got it from him. Being full of pride, it makes us self-promoting, and what we want others to think of us is not always who we are. So salvation is not just believing, and it's not just doing. It's an intimate relationship where, out of love for the Lord, we spend intimate time with the Lord, and know the Lord, and know what the will of the Lord is, and in obedience, live out the will of the Lord in our lives, and we are known intimately by the Lord. So are we in the faith or failing the test and being found to be counterfeit? I'm going to call your attention to some scriptural truths and scriptural warnings, and I'm going to ask some very important questions for us to think through and answer for ourselves. But I know I'm going to be competing with Satan for your attention. And we know he twists the scriptures and denies the truth to keep us as far away from God as he can. So I want us to be seeking the guidance of the Holy Spirit as we think through these questions and get his perspective. Well, let's level off the playing field to start with. Do we have anyone here this morning who is perfect and has no struggle at all in following Christ without sinning? <laughs> no. We all struggle with sin, and we all stand in need of a Savior. But here's what we need to know as we examine ourselves. Sin is sin, but not all sin is the same. Some sins are not intentional. Sometimes we get caught off guard. We're in the middle of something frustrating or we're just focused on daily routines and responsibilities and not focused on spiritual things. But every sin is an offense to our holy God. And any sin left unchecked without repentance is sufficient to create an eternal chasm between God and man. Those sins can become deadly and require more than the usual pattern of putting sin to death. 
The deadliness of a sin is not related so much to the category of that sin, but to how deeply rooted it is in your life and how you have responded to God as he has revealed it to you. Now, I do not want to start any controversy over the doctrine of once saved, always saved, but I do want us to consider that the Bible gives several warnings to those who claim to follow Christ and want to be saved. I don't think those scriptures would be there if we didn't have to worry about holding on to our salvation. Here are some marks of a deeply deadly sin that will keep us from being in the faith. Number one, the sin is deep-rooted and habitual. There may be some sins that have been in our life so long and with such frequency and prevalence that we no longer find them shocking or abhorrent or particularly bothersome. Our mind and conscience have grown calloused to the sin, and it has become deeply ingrained in who we are and in our thoughts and habits. And even though we may feel guilty every time we succumb to this temptation, we still find ourselves often repeating the sin. Number two, the sin is frequently successful in seducing your desires. There are times when our heart takes delight in the sin, even though we do not actually commit that sin outwardly. There are frequent times when we long for the pleasure and satisfaction of that sin. And if just thinking of that sin becomes pleasurable and develops a great hold on our soul, it is a dangerous sign and a particularly deadly sin if we do not even if we do not commit that sin. If our delight is in sin and not God, our soul is being drawn away from our Savior. And in this case, we do not delight to do God's will, but only fear the consequences of our disobedience. If we're living in the faith, we will battle to overcome sin out of a desire to please God and will find our delight in obeying God. Number three, you apply grace and mercy to a sin you do not intend to put to death. We rationalize that no one is perfect and we're saved by grace. So in spite of our imperfections, so we don't intend to battle and overcome that sin. We hang on to it. But the gospel does not allow us to apply God's mercy and grace to a sin that we intend to cling to. Number four, you have hardened your heart against God. God graciously reveals our sin through his word, through the Holy Spirit in our hearts, through other Christians and other means. And when he reveals our sin, he also prompts us to take action against it. Every warning is an act of mercy. We must realize what our accepted sins are doing to us and battle hard against them. And in his grace, he gives us everything we need to put it to death. But let me share some insights and guidance and we'll get back to that. 
First, if you're really wanting to overcome a besetting sin, you need to be in an accountability relationship with someone. Here's why. Sin loves to be alone with you. Your strongest temptations come when Satan can make you think, nobody will know, nobody sees what I'm doing, or knows the awful thoughts I'm thinking. And as long as you hide your sin, you're protecting it, and it will remain entrenched in your life. Pray and ask God to guide you to someone trustworthy, someone who is spiritually mature enough to love you, not judge and condemn you, and keep your confidence and not share your confession with anyone else, and will pray for you and with you, and be there to call on when you need help. And then go to him or her and take your mask off and confess This mask is who I want you to think I am, but I have a serious struggle that I want to overcome. This is the real me. Would you love me anyway? Pray for me and hold me accountable. And if someone comes to you with this confession and request, you must protect them and not even tell your spouse or closest friend what they share with you. You've been given a sacred trust, and their soul could be at stake. Be there for them. Now let's turn the message around and talk about the joy, the fulfillment, the peace of living in the faith. Here's where I want to inspire you to treasure your salvation and encourage you to keep developing the richness and quality of life that comes from a saving relationship with Christ. But what does it mean to be in the faith? It is a life, it is living a life, guided by a strong belief in the truths and promises of the revealed Word of God that governs our life choices. Let's take a look at some examples in the Scriptures. We see this first in Abraham and the patriarchs. In Hebrews 11:13 through 16, it says, All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. And if they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. And therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. We also see an example in the life of Moses. The scripture says in Hebrews 11:25 through 26 that he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Is our heart set on heaven? 
How often do we think about it? How often are we longing for it? How often do we think about the alternative if we don't make it? Do we protect and nourish our relationship with the Lord through obedience? Do we realize we have no excuse for not living obediently in the faith? Listen to these truths in 2 Peter, the first chapter, verses 3 through 4. It says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. I also find great instruction and challenge in reading the testimony and teachings of the Apostle Paul on how to live in the faith. He wrote these things to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5, 7 through 9. He said, For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him. And then he says elsewhere in 2 Corinthians 5, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And he says this about his own life and the faith in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. These were Paul's words in Philippians, the first chapter and the third chapter. Now, I, I trust that you've been examining yourselves to see if you are in the faith, you're living like Paul? You're living like the patriarchs, Moses? Have you found yourself lacking and not really giving Christ your all? 
Are you protecting certain sins? Have you realized you have not really given yourself to overcoming a certain sin that is holding you back from living in the faith? I want to share one last admonition that will help you overcome that sin and guide you in living and overcoming life in the faith. I'm going to tell you the story of how I first came to this scripture. It was my first year at Johnson Bible College, now Johnson University, and we'd just gotten our yearbooks, and you know the pattern. You get a yearbook, and you take it to the different classmates and ask them to sign because you want to see what they write about you and see, you know, something flattering or something good, I hope. Well, there was one man who was a lot older than all of us freshmen, and he was well-disciplined in his faith. And so I, I wanted him to sign it, and I just wanted to see what he would write about me. <laughs> but here's what he wrote. He said, David, Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Now, you know, I'd only been a Christian a little over a year at that point. I still wasn't sure I knew right where Colossians was. But I found it, and I read it, and I memorized it. And that scripture has helped keep my life online and in the faith. And I think it could be of great help to you as well. Here's what the scripture says. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now as we end this service, we come to invitation time. And it's time for a decision. You've been examining yourself. What have you found? Is there some decision that you need to make about readjusting the way that you live your life so that you can say, I am living in the faith. And my faith is both valuable and true. You know, a lot of times people know that they need to make a change and they wrestle with that sinful nature and the sinful nature will say, not now. You, you do need to work on that, but hey, don't go forward right now. And we have people that will stand and never come, never make a decision. They think and they leave. And they say, well, I, I didn't make a decision today. The truth is, you did. You decided not to do anything about it. You decided to continue living as you, as you are, perhaps holding on to a sin that you need to let go of and get out of your life. You may not need to come forward, but whatever decision that you need to make you need to make that decision now and not put it off. Give your all to the one who gave his all for you and live in the faith.